for us, I mean, as an as an organization, there's wins. Okay. Yep. <laughs> there's ticket sales. Right. And then there's sort of everything else. We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads, and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You're listening to The Growth Show with Mike Volpe. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Growth Show. I'm Mike Volpe, the CMO at HubSpot. Our show is produced by Dave Gerhardt. And today I'm joined by Adam Grossman, who's the SVP of Marketing and Brand Development for the Boston Red Sox. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell us a little bit. I think most people hopefully know what the Boston Red Sox are, but it's our favorite <laughs> baseball team here in Boston. It changes by the team. day, depending just, on who's pitching. Well, yeah, whether correct, <laughs> whether, whether uh, how much of a favorite, true. Uh, but tell us a little bit about sort of like marketing and brand development. I think a lot of us know what that is for maybe a technology business, but what's that mean for a sports team? For us, you know, what we try to focus on is how we're building relationships. And, um, you know, with our fans, historically, it's been a lot about the games and just if they're coming to a game, they sort of have this relationship. But for us, especially now as technology has expanded and as fans want to consume more content and have more interaction, what we're trying to do is sort of build 365 day a year relationships with with our fans and through social through unique experiences at the ballpark uh, through interaction with the players we want to make sure that we're continuing to remind people of the unique qualities of the Red Sox and um, you know even even this year you know what we've talked about a lot is there's this institution of the Red Sox that really doesn't change and that's what people kind of hold on to the Fenway Park, the history, the tradition, the, oh, my grandfather brought me to my first game, those types of stories. Um, and that's one piece of it and sort of the building block foundational work of it. But there's also the team and that changes from year to year. And so um, what we do is sort of focus 80% on the institution and sort of 20% on the team. But it's all about the relationships with our fans and how we're connecting our fans to the organization. Meaning from a marketing and brand perspective, you focus most of your efforts on building relationships between the the fans and the team as a whole. Absolutely. Because obviously the players kind of come and go from time to time. The players come and go. The winds come and go. Right. But that element, and we are so lucky to have incredible resources as it relates to the Fenway Park, as it relates to history, as it relates to the soap operas on the field, sometimes off the field. Um, those things are all part of the Red Sox pedigree. And so from, you know, for a lot of us, like for me, I have a lot of metrics that uh, you know, I use and the company uses to like judge how I'm doing and how the marketing team or HubSpot's doing. What, what are the are there any metrics that you can look at for for like you and your team? Like that's it's got to be a hard thing for. I mean, it's not like oh, how many games you know, how many tickets do we sell because you typically sell out many games. Like how's that? You know, like how do you think yeah. about that stuff? Like what's so for us? I mean, as an as an organization, there's wins. <laughs> okay. Yep. There's ticket sales. Right. And then there's sort of everything else. Um, yeah. And you know, on the ticket sales side. One of the things we truly believe in uh, from a marketing standpoint is that we have to be part of the revenue function. And so we are very closely aligned with ticket sales and trying to figure out how are we packaging, marketing, and um, becoming a catalyst for more ticket sales because we really are a retail business. 
Um, at the but in addition, you know, like a metric this year that's really important to us. We started a really large kids initiative, um, and what we've tried to do is sort of to focus on kids. And there's actually an amazing stat by a researcher named Rich Luker who does the ESPN Sports Poll who found that um, a, a child who goes to his or her first game, baseball game, before the age of five will go to 58% more games over the course of their lifetime than someone who goes 14 or older. Wow. So what we're trying to do is how do we make sure that we get kids uh, as part of, you know, again, the normal daily elements of Fenway, and how do we get the Red Sox into their daily routine. So this year we set aside 25,000 tickets and had a free kids club uh, that we offered out to all of our, uh, all of Red Sox nation. And what, what's interesting is we've had right now we're at 42,000 kids in this program across the country. We've got kids from each state. So we start monitoring that, you know, having 42,000 in this new program is, is a big statistic for us. Got it. Okay. So there's maybe a bunch of engagement metrics that you would say. A lot of around, engagement. You know, and, and our social. Registrations and online, obviously ex- social. Exactly. Like that. Okay. That's interesting. Tell us a little. So that's, uh, let's maybe dive into that kid stuff because we were talking about that a little bit before we started recording here. What, I, and I actually have a friend who took his son I think just this past weekend, you guys had like an open house at yes, the park. Yes. Yeah. So talk to us about some of the things you're doing to, you know, kind of build basically the next generation of fans is yeah. what you're talking about. Absolutely. So there's this big initiative that we're talking about called Calling All Kids. And it's sort of the theme of this year. Uh, but what's, what's great about this is that it's not going to go away next year. We're trying to really expand upon it with each year. So there are three tenants to it. One is how are we increasing accessibility to Fenway? Um, one is you know sometimes there's a perception that tickets can't be bought and they're so hard and out of reach. But through this ticket program and through Kid Nation, we're trying to offer that as, a, as an opportunity for kids and families to have access. The second piece, though, is once kids get to Fenway, it's how are we entertaining them? How are we um, using uh, our resources to give their families a better experience? So we actually have a, a gate this year that we open up called Gate K, which is a, a, a kids-only gate next to Gate B, and to give them and have the VIP experience for kids. And then we also were talking about before this Wally's Clubhouse, which is open from the third inning to the seventh inning on. And um, that's really an escape for kids and parents for from the game or from yeah. you know it can be I mean, an full intent- baseball game is a lot for it's a, it's a kids, lot you know, and we recognize five, that yeah. you know i mean we're a traditional brand but we also have to be progressive and so this came from we always try to listen to our fans it's sort of a core value that we have and and you know this this uh, mom told us a couple years ago we always need an escape route for our kids because we don't want to leave the game if our kids melt down but we need a place to go and so that's what we created this wally's clubhouse um and so that's the second piece about the entertainment side. The third, though, is how are we growing the game at the grassroots level? And mm-hmm. a lot of that is done with our foundation work, and we support um, over 200 little leagues throughout Massachusetts. We're going to be expanding that program throughout New England. Uh, and we're also doing something with the Highland Street Foundation this year, which is called Out of the Park. So we're going to be refurbishing 10 little league fields within the city of Boston and then having a watch party, that's sort of an end-of-school watch party at the end of June on the Common. So we're going to have huge huge screens and sort of have like almost like a Boston Common block party that's free to the public for families just to hang out, watch the Red Sox and engage with with our brand and, and the city. Tell us a little bit about the, so you, a lot of those initiatives sounds great as somebody who has young kids. I said, wow, that might make it easier for me to go to Fenway with them where taking them to a game normally would be, you know, a few years ago, probably a lot harder. But how, some of that stuff has got to run in conflict to like the 
you know, the diehard fan who's been, you know, been around for 20 years, has been going to, you know, been a season ticket holder forever and kind of expects kind of like the one sort of let's even call it the old school game experience. How do you, how do you balance those different factions? It's a really hard way, uh, area to balance because like, I was in Miami with the Dolphins for a number of years. and um, Oh, we'll get to that. Don't yeah, you worry. Uh, okay. Well, then I'll... I'll <laughs> 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 so, I, you know, and that was something that, as a brand, we really tried to change the brand instantly. And I think from some of these things, um, we need to evolve over time and do it in a way that complements sort of our core. And we're lucky because we've got an identity as a brand of historic, traditional, um, you know, it's Fenway oftentimes sort of speaks for itself. But we have to evolve. And so some of this is, we're not trying to put it in people's faces, but we're trying to give people more options. And I think as and you guys know better than anyone, the, the tools and the, and, and the options for, the, for, for our fans needs to be more and more diverse over time because people are becoming more specialized. They have more, they want a more specialized experience. And that's what we're trying to give them without throwing it in people's, people's faces that don't want to go to the Wally's Clubhouse if they're 60 years old and have right. been coming to Fenway for you know, the last 55 years. Right, right. So, so when you, as you add in the DJ, you also keep the organist and kind of alternate innings. Absolutely. A little, a small example of things like that. No yeah. question. Yeah, for, for the old school people to like, I just always used to love the organist. Right. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, now, Will, with mine as well, you brought it up. Why don't we turn to the Dolphins? And uh, I'm not going to give you too much of a hard time about that. Obviously, <laughs> as, a, as a Boston and New England guy, I'm more of a Pats kind of fan. But talk to us about maybe the differences in a, a role of marketing a professional sports team between the NFL and MLB. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of differences there in terms of the amount of control, the power of the owners versus the power of the league, the tools that are available to you. I feel like we talked about this actually a couple of years ago. It was a fascinating conversation. Tell me, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so every sport is governed differently, just like any country is governed differently. And so the 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 NFL obviously have so few games. You know, you've got these so eight sort of, home games. Basically, you've got eight home games. Yeah. I remember my my uh, my first game. It was a Monday night game against Indianapolis, and it was when Peyton was still with the Colts. And I walked onto the field, and I looked up, and there were seventy thousand people roaring, and it sort of felt like we were in an either a World Series environment or yes. like an ALCS Yankee yeah. environment, yeah. and that was game one. Right. Well, because it's sixteen game season, whereas they, baseball is one hundred sixty-two games. So, so every game counts games. as yeah, right. every game counts right. as. 10. Yeah. And the um the the other piece that's that's really hard is if you lose that Sunday, yes. you have six days right to right. figure to out how to get it. Yeah. Yeah. what's great Whereas about baseball, baseball is like you just roll day, in. You know, totally. we blow it in the ninth, <laughs> we're just hey, we got another one, we win, you know, ten nothing, yeah. and we got another one, we gotta get we gotta yeah, get gotta back on. Up, yeah. So that sort of the, the daily rhythms of baseball are very different than sort of these apex points of what football is and what it represents. And it's so, f- football is such a big event sport. And mm-hmm. uh, from a league standpoint, the NFL is an amazing machine. I mean, they've really built out an enormous platform year round with the draft and, and, and the combines and the playoff system. I mean, it's, it's quite incredible. But what we struggled with at times is if we were out of it early – as a fantasy player or, you know, you would start watching your fantasy team as opposed to the, the Dolphins at times. Yeah, and it was yeah. harder to get, you know, and, and listen, all sports and all entertainment in general 
it's hard. It's getting harder and harder to get people to the action. The TV, the TV the experience stuff, yeah, yeah. is so incredible yeah. um, that I think all live entertainment. It's it's a little bit of double-edged sword. I mean, it's you know TV and the explosion of content has really been the lifeblood for the business, but it's also a continued challenge to get people into the park, which is why now we and all the leagues are starting to figure out how can we add on to the in-game experience and complement with all the technology and the amenities that you would have if you were sitting home. Got it. Makes sense. So tell us a little bit about the sort of the morale of you and of the marketing team there. How much is that just tied to whether or not the Red Sox are winning or not? Like, I mean, and it's got to make your job a lot easier when the team is good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all geniuses when we win. Right, um, right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we always talk about, like, in 2004, I mean, Dave Roberts made everybody a genius. Right. And, um, <laughs> and Frank Kona always used to say that, too. So, you know, it was – listen, we are – we're really um, – you know, fans want to win and we want to win. Ultimately, that's what we're yeah. here for and that's what we want. And and I think as an organization, what we try to do from a marketing standpoint, again, is develop these relationships which help the business, which help the brand, and which ultimately, hopefully, help the on-field performance through uh, whether it's money to sign players or whether it's a unique competitive advantage at Fenway Park. So we all feel like we're a part of this, but we're fans. So, yeah, when we have a tough game, we feel it, um, but it's much easier to come to work when things are rocking and going well. I, I mean, bet, the 2013 yeah. season, yeah. and it's like, wow. I mean, this is uh, this is some some magic carpet ride. Yeah. But I think we're we're more experienced now, especially because we've had these huge ups and downs. Whereas when you know, when I was at the Sox from 2002 to 2009, sustaining the success is so hard, and keeping us at a top that you almost at times don't appreciate how hard it is until we drop. So all these wins and you know, the World Series in 13, we have a great appreciation for how unique that that truly is. Well, I think the interesting thing is, that, you know, in order for you guys to win, somebody else has to lose, and there's even though in most businesses you have competition. It's usually not completely a zero sum game because usually the overall market is growing and you know, you may be growing when your competitors may also be growing, but in some ways it, it literally is a zero sum game. And so it's like some team has to take a beating if you're gonna be doing really well, right? Yeah, and sometimes that's been us and other times yeah. we've been um, you know, we we've been on the better end of that. But it's been fun. I mean, this season especially, obviously we we made a lot of changes at towards the end of last sure. season. Yeah. Um, and and for us to have guys like Sandoval and Hanley um, to come in and and have we've got a great lineup and our ratings are up this year, uh, especially in the younger demo on mm. you know, eighteen to thirty four. It's up quite a bit. It's actually our, the we're up more relative to other, uh, any other demo from from last year. Mm. So it's interesting that uh, we've we've had a lot of marketing momentum, um, a lot because of you know the new signings and just people eager to get back to baseball. That's interesting. That's interesting. So. T- Tell us about so when it is going bad, when the team is just you know losing a whole bunch, um, you know maybe not really a shot at the playoffs. Like what is that when you feel like your team really needs to shine and figure out a way to pull something positive about this, keep the fans engaged when they're, you know, I mean on the flip side, it's like if the team's doing well. You know, like you said, everyone yeah. looks like a genius. So, is, I mean, is, are those the times? Like, do you do you even think about increasing the marketing budget when the team's not doing well? Like, how's that work? Yeah, we do, and and sort of the way we think about ourselves is when things are going well, 
we want to augment that and we want to fan the flames and get everybody into that party. So we right. talked about that a lot when we're in yeah. August of 2013 and right. you know, people are growing beards and it looks <laughs> like everything is happy. I mean, we've got to pounce on that because we know, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what the next season is going to bring. So we got to make sure that that peak is, is uh, even higher. But what we also want to, try to do is sort of ensure against the downturn and so if it's build a relationship that's more than just about whether the team won that exactly week or that month, yeah. exactly and so and again we're so lucky because we have this institution and we, even in 2012 which was such a tough year you know we would always talk about if you were in boston and a huge red sox fan and you were so pissed off at the team if you moved to san francisco the first thing you would do is tell somebody oh if you're going to boston you got to go to fenway and yeah. that's what we focus yeah. on even last year in September, I mean, our our fans were incredible. I mean, we had sellouts for yeah. most of September, and you almost felt like we were in a playoff hunt, even though we were in last place. And yeah. so reminding people of that, thanking them for their support, yeah. and uh, encouraging that institutional uh, devotion is something that, that that's where we focus. I think, I think the interesting thing, if you look at the, the run from, like, um, you know, from the long, long, long World Series drought – that almost built this Red Sox fan base that was about sort of suffering. And certainly there's been a lot of wins since uh, that curse is broken, right? But I do feel like there's still some of that in the culture, which I think is really beneficial for the team in a lot of ways because I think the, the fans are not very fair weather compared to, you know, I've lived in other cities and you sort of see how the fans react there. And there's definitely this very, very dedicated fan base. And I think it's in many ways, I don't know if you have any data on this, but it feels like it's one of the most nationally followed teams as well. Yeah. I, mean, I go to every city and there's Red Sox fans there. Yeah, the, we actually did a little bit of a, a study. It was more about a narrative of sort of the diaspora of Red Sox fans. Yes, and yes. a lot of it has to do with the legacy of the Red Sox, the narrative of yes. the almost, you know, the, the so lovable losers. Yes. Um, but not, And also the, the university and the college qualities because oh, – when we and this is something that we're trying to do too is to try to encourage more students and college students to come into Fenway and so we actually have these nine dollar tickets for students that you wow. walk in any that takes game, me back to nine, high school I yeah, yeah and that's the idea our, our COO Sam Kennedy was with Adam and he grew up in Brookline and said we got to do this because I want students to come in for nine bucks they can just get into Fenway yeah and not think about it and yeah. so we started this program last year we've expanded it um, this year but this this idea that Boston as the, the you know has such a strong educational um, footprint and it attracts people but Fenway is right there and yeah. so you know they get their Red Sox hats and they go all over the world and, and take the Red Sox with them now you mentioned let's talk about some different sort of groups of fans you mentioned hats so uh, tell our listeners what's a pink hat <laughs> and our and our like like pro or con like what do you think about that sort of demographic of Red Sox fans well I mean as a marketer we like all of our fans. Of you course, know, right, I, you yeah, know, if yeah, you're on sports yeah. radio, you, you rail made, against you made the, royalties off yeah, the sale yeah, of the pink well, hat, right? <laughs> you know, but tell what's so what's a pink hat? Let's so, talk about that for a minute. Listen, I mean, pink hats are f- allegedly fair weather fans that sort of they don't wear their their blue hats. They have their pink hats. They come in, and when the team's doing well, they have a good time. And it's Fenway, and it's a party. And when the team's not doing well, you don't see as many pink hats anymore. Um, we've done a lot of research. The pink hat thing is a little bit of a, um, I think it's been overblown. We're lucky to have so many fans across the segments, but the big segments, our biggest segments are, interestingly, um, season ticket holders, sort of that core fan. And sure. then the second biggest one is actually um, uh, excuse towards moms. Um, and they usually come about one time a year. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like the they view Fenway as sort of the Disney of 
there. So they come yeah, every single year. They come every and single like year. A huge deal Team for performance them. doesn't mean as much. Right. They're willing to spend a little bit outing. more money yep. because this is a family outing, right. which is very different than what people think of as a pink hat. Like it's yes, a different yes, deal. And yes. for us, I said, anyone wants to come to Fenway, we're a fan of. But that's uh, you know, leave that to the to. Talk radio host to rail against them. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, well, those guys only cater, I think, one segment of fans, so not all the different segments of fans. I think that's true. Talk to us about, so you mentioned social media and digital and all those things and how that's changed so much. Uh, I feel like it's every week that there's a professional athlete or maybe some other kind of entertainer who is apologizing for something that they did on Twitter, right? <laughs> I mean, pretty much, right? And uh, so how, how do you guys think about that from a brand? I mean, you talk about how in some ways you want to build a relationship between the fans and the team because the players do come and go, but the players do have an impact on the brand mm-hmm. and you don't control every single thing that they tweet, no. right? How, how's that work? How do you think about that? Do you have, you have training for them? Are there guidelines? Like, yeah. How does it all work? We do have training. The t- uh, we have training early on in the spring. Yeah. We talk about the pros, talk about the cons, things that they have to just be careful about because, yeah. listen, everybody, uh, we're sort of habitual creatures of emotion, especially athletes where, yeah. I mean, they are in their profession, true geniuses. And there's a lot of emotion that comes with that. So after yeah. a game, it's so easy to spout off or to do, you know, send a tweet that an hour or two hours later that, that you regret. So we do try to, to go through a, a, a formal training with them to just make sure that they, they think before they tweet. Um, but the other piece is we do want to work with our players. I mean, it's such an incredible medium to have at interaction and that relationship so we do try to work with the players even though the players are doing their thing individually on on twitter and from a brand standpoint for us we've talked a lot about this you know as they there's sort of this element of uh, compulsion of how do we whether it's break news or you know get huge retweet engagement yeah um but we want to stay true to who we are so we think that the sort of the voice of who we are on twitter should match up with who we are off the field, who we want to be at Fenway Park, even though it's got may have a little bit, you know, it's 140 characters, it may have a little bit of uh, slang in it, you know, so yeah, sure. but it can't be a departure from the core values that that we hold dear. Yeah. Um, do you watch every home game? Well, the short answer is yes, but not innings one through nine. I mean, we're yeah. racing around. It's sort of Because you're working at the same time. We're working. Like, it's going to be hard because it's like, there's the game. Your product is like there. It's happening on the field. You're at the park for all the home games, but you stuff to do. You got Legos to build in Wally's clubhouse. Exactly. You got, yeah. Someone's got to do that, right? You got bobbleheads to give out. Yeah. I mean, this is a very complex job. Um, so, listen, for us, I tell people a lot, if you imagine 37,000 people coming to your office yeah. 81 times a year, yeah. stuff's going to come up, people you're going to need yeah. to see, work that's yeah. going to have to do. And that's sort of what, what we have. I mean, it's a different perception um, from the outside than coming in. You know, and yeah, I thought of, luxury box, like leather recliner, yeah, like you yeah. got a glass of champagne in your hand, and like, yeah, no, it's not what it's like. Not all the time. <laughs> not, not all the time. time. <laughs> Every once in a while, you get lucky with a game here so are, are you basically So you're basically at the park just like running around different parts of the park most of the yeah, time? And like, there's, yeah, exactly. I mean, our, our we have a, listen, we're a small business. We have a small staff. It's a couple hundred employees. So, well, I mean, we're no HubSpot. You know, your payroll's probably higher than ours, but yeah, but the, 
<laughs> but I hear you're the number of employees. Yeah, fine, so, fine. Um, so what we try to do is, um, and listen, because we have so many fans that are at the game, we want to make them happy, but there are also people to see and there's business to get done. Yeah. Um, so we're running. Uh, we're running hard, but that's part of the job. That's If you can't, if you don't like that, you're in the wrong. The yeah, wrong and what are the away games like? I mean, Depend, you know, the marketing team doesn't really travel. Yeah, right, no, yeah. We're, we're here. I mean, our social team is engaged all, yes, all year. Right. Um, and there's always things that, that come up even when we're on the road. And what, again, you know, what we've had with Fenway is it used to be 162 event, uh, 162 events a year at Fenway, but now it's all year round. And when the team's on the road for a long road trip, we'll have concerts. Yeah, so, sure. you know, we've, it's it's and it's happening with all entertainment. It's just, it's it's not just about baseball. It's about entertainment and content, right. and that's what we are really highly focused on. And all right. So revenues. give us the as a as a funny parting story. What's give us one of sort of the most interesting or funny things that happened? I mean, you work alongside a lot of personalities. You know, a lot of the players have all sorts of different personalities. There's got to be famous people coming in and out. Like, what's like the weird? There's got to be some like weird story that happened to you. Um. So there's a lot that I probably can't share because you I have to read it in the book or or or, or on the tombstone. Um the, God, there are so many. Um the one of the things I'm not sure it's funny, but I thought it was really cool is a couple of years ago uh Eckersley was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yes. And about Dennis Eckersley famous Red Sox pitcher yeah. for those, those yeah, And for he's also on Nesson and yes, so yeah, he yeah. was in he's, Boston and Hall of Fame announcement comes, and I walk into the kitchen, and he's just sort of opening up the fridge. Yeah. And I just sort of looked at him, and I go, hey, man. He goes, hey, congrats. He goes, thanks. And he just walked out. And I almost felt like, this is Sports Center, You know, <laughs> right, right. one of those things. <laughs> it's like, like, hey, thanks. That's kind of what they, happens They looked at you, here. and he's like, yeah. he's like, this cake yours? Because I'm going to eat it. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> You're right. kind of like, Hall of Fame, just yeah. take my cake. It's yeah, okay. exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, like, I mean, again, they're... Like they're just normal people. Like everybody at else. At the end of the day, yeah. that, you know, it's yeah. normal people, and uh, it, but it's a great environment, and we're lucky. We've got great ownership and, and an amazing ballpark and an incredible fan base. So a lot happens. It's a little bit of a nutty lifestyle and a nutty world, but it's, it's ours. I can't imagine. We have our fair share of characters here, but I think nothing like you guys have, <laughs> although maybe a couple <laughs> in any event. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Gross Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd love to if you left us a review in iTunes or uh, Stitcher or wherever you listen. Uh, you can chat about uh, new episodes, recent episodes, share feedback on a discussion forum we have set up at inbound.org growth. That's inbound.org growth. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, it's going to be weird. It's been a long time since I've had somebody in the studio. Yeah, yeah. You want, you want me higher? Yeah, you like it like eye level like you like yeah higher 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 like that okay how's he he's he looks I'm pretty good, good right? yeah. yeah cool i wish and I they like you real higher. they really yeah. <laughs> they like you uh relatively close to the microphone right okay cool uh how those levels guys they good you need adam to talk at all how's that great good okay, okay cool uh sure. all right you guys let me know when you're good to go I'm more nervous about this one than actually anyone before. I don't know why. I know. He makes me nervous. Does it? No, I'm sure it sounds great because we're both in here, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so nervous. <laughs>